Good morning or good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into Herf's Huddle, the Chicago Bears podcast presented by Joseph Herf. For those of you who don't know me or my work, you can follow me on Twitter at NFL for all tweets, articles, and reactions surrounding the Bears. So today, this podcast episode will be a little bit of a shorter one, um, basically just going to be discussing the uh, three Super Bowl takeaways for the Chicago Bears, and I'll be doing a mock draft using PFF's updated rankings, and then I'll be doing the uh, next part of my segment, Keeper Cut, for uh, the offensive lineman. So obviously, um, this past weekend was the uh, the Super Bowl for the 2022-2023 season, which we saw the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Kansas City Chiefs. I think, obviously, the Eagles were the favorite, in my opinion. I really didn't think they were. Um, I basically, in every parlay that I did end up missing, I uh, <laughs> I took the Chiefs money line every time. I mean, the actually, the first point I want to start with here, it has to do with that. And the first takeaway I think we really took away, from, or we got from the Super Bowl, was that a quarterback of Patrick Mahomes' caliber or of an MVP type of caliber can take you anywhere. Um even despite having, you know, an average wide receiving core. I mean, you, people, the only reason people doubted the Chiefs at all this year is because they lost Tyreek Hill, and that turned their core into um, Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Tony, and a bunch of guys that just, you know, couldn't cut on, on other teams and were just, you know, wide receiver two slash threes. And, you know, all we've been hearing all offseason is that how important it is to get a wide receiver one for this roster. And again, I'm not saying that it isn't important because it is. It, it helps you take strides. Look at the Eagles. Yeah, A.J. Brown, they took a massive stride when they got him. But when a quarterback becomes this caliber, you don't exactly need those wide receivers. Again, sure, you can say he had Travis Kelsey. Kelsey had a nice game, but Kelsey didn't account for every single touchdown and yards that Holmes threw for. He was just a big part of that. And that kind of goes segues into the second point of coaching adjustments and, and like preparation showed massive. I mean, we saw two, the chiefs run basically two touchdowns in a row that they had the exact same play call just outside the field because they knew the Eagles could not cover it with their defense that they were going to be calling Gannon Gannon for the Eagles, their defense corner became extremely predictable um, in that game. And on top of that, just the preparation itself, the adjustments. I mean, the Eagles had a 10-point lead going into halftime. The Eagles came out after the half, and they were lazy on defense. They became lax, not lackadaisical, but they became like content on offense doing almost nothing. And the Chiefs, on the other hand, made absolute 180 adjustments. Their defense was flying. They looked awesome on defense after that. Their offense was finding wins. They're they're punt return game had a massive punt return to put them in field position to score a touchdown. Like the adjustments showed incredibly. And again, that's not anything to say against the Eagles coaching staff. That is a young head coach versus Andy freaking Reed. Like that's not anything against Sirianni. I think uh, Sirianni is going to be a very good coach down the line if he keeps this going, but he did just lose his coordinators. For those of you who have been following his offensive coordinator took the job in I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but the defensive coordinator took a job in Arizona. I don't know why they hired him personally, but hey, teach their own. Um, oh, sorry, the offensive coordinator took a job at Indianapolis. So coaching adjustments and keeping a good core of coaches matters. I mean, excuse the one in the background. If you can hear that, it is extremely windy out here, um, you know, towards the Windy City. But um, like the, 
the Chiefs have had the same defensive coordinator for years now. They've had the same offensive coordinator, Eric Bemi, since Matt Nagy got taken away. And Matt Nagy's back. And they've had Dave Taub as a special teams coordinator. Like, they just have a great staff in place. And that just showed. That just showed the difference there. And then the last takeaway was a very important one. The winning the trenches was the most important part of that game. The Eagles got beat both sides of the trenches. The Chiefs, despite having quote-unquote bad office tackles did not give up a single sack to the best pass rushing team in football i don't care what you say about the field they blitz they tried whatever they could they threw whatever they can against the chiefs and the chiefs did not allow a sack with a quarterback who had a bum ankle like the the trenches were so important and then on the other side of the ball the chiefs were were getting uh hurts and they were stopping the run like they they won the trench battle and they won the game because of it so, overall, I think that just shows the Bears need to take away. They need to win the trenches. They need to invest in both the defensive and offensive line. Um, obviously, that's not to say, like I said earlier, don't get wide receivers. That is important, but that is not as important as winning the trenches. And the Bears need to get more experience in their coaching. I mean, they're again, these are new coaches. They're just learning their jobs as head coaches and offensive coordinators. But that's going to come with time. So, the, the headaches are going to happen like the Eagles just had. So, overall... Lots to take away. There, lots to learn from there. So, um, again, you can't just find an Andy Reid going on a tree again. They had he could have got Sean Payton, I guess, but otherwise, not a whole lot of options there. But again, giving Eberflus some time is going to help a lot. So, the next part of this podcast I'm going to move to is the uh, the next NFL mock draft. Again, I know I do these all the time, but they're just too fun. Um, and PFF recently updated their player rankings to accommodate more accurate mock drafts according to their rankings. So. To start it off, I started the draft, made a trade right away, and traded back with the um, with the Indianapolis Colts. I got picks numbers 4, 35, 79, and a 2024 first. Um, obviously, you got first overall. Uh, and with the fourth pick of the draft, I took Will Anderson, edge out of Alabama. Again, the debate has been all offseason between, you know, is it Anderson or is it Carter? I think it's Anderson in my opinion, but Carter got taken at three anyway by the Cardinals. So Anderson right there was just glaring at me. It was too obvious to pick. I think he, I just saw said actually that he created more pressures than basically every single edge rusher that has been taken in the top 10 in the last few years. So he's a monster, high motor, hard worker, generates the pressures, had an insane season 2021. Hard to ignore it. Then the beginning of the second round at pick 35, I took offensive tackle Dewan Jones out of uh, Ohio state. He's been a guy that I've been hyping up since the senior bowl. he did show his ability on top of already his mammoth size of 6'8, um, 370 with a, you know, with the largest wingspan in senior bowl history. He is going to be a mammoth. Um, the one concern is definitely that he is too big for his own good, that people are saying to get under him, get around him with speed. But I think Jones kind of eliminates that with the long arms and with uh with his actual decently quick feet. Then at pick 54, I take John Michael Schmitz, center out of Minnesota. Again, I, I've come to the point where if we don't draft him, I think at this point I'm going to be kind of – I'm going to be destroyed because I think he is just a can't-miss center prospect. But if you get him in the second round, that's just a robbery. I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl caliber center for the next five to ten years. Then at the third round at pick 64, I took Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver out of Tennessee. I truly don't think he falls this far, but PFF in their updated rankings put him here again. It's hard to ignore it. He – is just a freak. He's going to be operating out of the slot, probably in large part for the Bears, and he's going to be lethal. He 
deep threat after the catch. Everything you want a wide receiver. He's not a big guy, but the Bears already have a lot of big wide receivers already on roster. Um, and I think he could just be a guy that can open them up a little more. So I think he'd be a really great fit here. Then it picks 79 as a player who's been falling in a lot of the rankings. That's Keely Ringo, cornerback out of Georgia. Um, he was at one point mocked as like a top 15 pick in the draft, and he's been dropping. Um, I think his athletic upside is just way too large to ignore here, and I think that he showed way too much how good he can be. I think people have a lot of recency bias against him due to getting absolutely smoked by Marvin Harrison Jr., which is kind of obvious that it's going to happen. He's the best wide receiver in college football, and he is smoking everybody. So not too much hate there. I think he can develop into a great corner. Then in the fourth round at pick 103, I took Ty J. Spears running back out of Tulsa. Um, I think he's a great complement to uh, Khalil Herbert. I think he's going to have value in the passing game. He's explosive as as hell. Like him and him and Herbert are going to be an electric duo. I think you get an, obviously another running back, maybe at a free agency to kind of roll with them. But I think those two would be awesome together. Then at pick one thirty four, I take a uh, I take a guard. Obviously, uh, Andrew Voorhees out of USC. I almost didn't say his name, but a guard isn't an immediate need, but it's an underrated need. And I talked about that actually last episode. Just for the fact that you could save a lot of money by cutting Cody White here. I believe if you cut him after June 1st, you save $10 million. Again, money isn't like our concern, but Cody White here is aging. He obviously isn't in the future plans. He didn't have a great year. Get Voorhees to compete with him. And if Voorhees you know, is equal to him or even just a little worse, it might be worth cutting your ties to White here to let Voorhees develop as your left guard of the future. Just a few picks later, pick 137, I took Owen um papo linebacker out of auburn i don't know that he's an immediate starter but he's an automatic just athlete you bring to your defense that has incredible range he's a little undersized for linebacker but at least especially in this scheme but he could easily be somebody that could be a depth player special teams guy um that could develop he does need a lot of work uh but he has a lot of potential with his ability to fly then at pick 150, I take Jacob Slade, defensive lineman out of Michigan State. Really don't know why he's this far down, in my opinion. I, I think he could develop into a very solid three technique with his size and athleticism. Um, at the very least, get him after you sign DeBron Payne, and then you have him, um, Payne, Justin Jones, and a few other guys you can probably bring in-house to. And then finally, um, people probably don't know who this is, but I pick 220. I take McCallum Castles, tight end out of UC Davis. Um, basically in the last few rounds, like Slade and Popo, you take guys that have high upside that might not, that might have a major flaw. Like Popo's major flaw is that he's undersized. Um, Castle's major, you know, flaw is that he's definitely a little skinny for a tight end, but he, and he played at an FCS school in UC Davis, but he does have that great athleticism. I think at the very least he could be a, uh, a U slash F tight end that just plays primarily out of the slot and lines up outside is like a mismatch tool um, one-on-one against linebackers. So overall, again, based on this draft, I I got our, you know, edge of the future who's going to be an absolute all-star player, um, starting right tackle in Dewan Jones, starting center in John Michael Schmitz, our wide receiver three in Jalen Hyatt, um, a developmental corner that might not start right away in Keely Ringo. Basically, you're starting running back slash rotational back in uh, Tajay Spears, possible starting left guard and Andrew Voorhees, and then basically depth out of then Owen Popo, Jacob Slade, and McCallan Castles. Let me know what you think. I know obviously people have been doing these like crazy, including myself, but love to hear the box that you guys are doing. So I actually 
may have misspoken when I talked earlier, but I, I did say we're doing the keep cut segment, but instead of, sorry, offensive line, we're doing offensive tackle. Um, and then next week will be interior offensive linemen. Um, so again, keeper cut. These are players from the 2022 season. They may not be locked up for 2023. So to start this off, we're going to go with the obvious one, Braxton Jones. Um, Braxton Jones is definitely a keep candidate for obvious reasons. I think he has the chance to develop into a very good left tackle down the line. It is a risk of starting him next season, I will admit. I think that the best way to approach this year um, is to get a very good swing tackle behind him. And if he is faltering at all and it's hurting the team, you just you cut your ties. Um, but he does definitely deserve a chance to start next season. He was one of the highest Again, I'm not a big PFF fan, but he was one of the highest. He was the highest grade offensive tackle of all rookies um, out of the NFL draft this past year. So it's hard to ignore that, especially with all the players drafted this year from offensive tackle and one of the arguably great classes. So I think you give him a chance. He, he definitely needs a lot of work to improve on his anchor. Um, he gets bull rushed way too easily, and he doesn't do a very good job of holding his ground. So I, I think he needs some work soft season in the strength department. He's got the upper body strength already set, just needs that lower body strength to come with it. Um, next up is uh, Larry Borum. Um, he technically is under contract still, but I would say he is a cut candidate personally. I don't think it is worth keeping him around at this point. I think he looked bad at right tackle and even worse at guard where I thought he could have a chance of being better. Um, we know what he is and we kind of had a feeling he didn't fit the scheme due to him not being very athletic, which is the big part of the scheme and being a little big. I think he could, you know, find success as a rotational guy elsewhere. I just don't think it's worth keeping him around on contract when you can get better depth slash take another shot in the draft of the later round guy. Like for example, Andrew Voorhees is a late round guy as a guard. But uh, moving on to the next player, Riley Reef. This is a guy I would honestly consider keeping. Um, when I talk about a good swing tackle, I can play both the left and the right side. Um, he comes up as a as a common name. Obviously, you can sign somebody just to be your full time right tackle as a star. Um, you know, like obviously he wouldn't be a right tackle, Orlando Brown Jr. or uh, um, Jawan Taylor. But I think Riley Reef is a great guy to have his depth. I don't think it would hurt to bring him back. Um, and it seemed like he liked being here. I mean, he seemed like he actually wanted to play and actually cared, and he actually did a pretty decent job last year as a as basically the starting right tackle when Borum got benched for basically being bad. Lastly is uh, Alex Leatherwood. This is a guy I definitely would still consider at least giving him a camp battle shot, along with Borum. I think they both deserve at least a shot in camp, but I think Leatherwood actually deserves a chance to stay due to how freakishly athletic he is. He, his athleticism alone fits the scheme. I think it would do best for him to move to guard. Don't know that it works out for him, but I think if he gets a full offseason of being a guard, he could be a guy that you want to keep around his depth um, or even just his versatility. I mean, he can play both guard positions. He can play both tackle positions, and he played basically everything in college. So let him develop behind everybody. Let him learn a thing or two. Um, and if it isn't working out again, let him compete against like a, you know, a later on drafting and see what happens. Again, we it took almost nothing to get him. He was a waiver wire pickup. And only costs us a million per year. So nothing too bad there. But overall, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, that'll be the end of this episode. We'll be back again next week, um, likely covering more NFL draft-related stuff. Um, for those of you who are interested, though, I will be uh, actually Friday. Tickets go live to go to Soldier Field for the uh, NFL draft party on Thursday. I will be in attendance. 
Um, if you do end up going, please reach out to me. I would love to meet up with anybody who listens to the podcast. I'm trying to get a bunch of friends to go and it could be a great time. Probably rocking my Justin Fields jersey or my him shirt. So, uh, but overall, thanks for tuning in, guys. Um, feel free to reach out with any suggestions. Uh, send send this over to your friends, and I will uh, see you guys next week.